Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringel here, host of My Quest for the Best, where ambitious small business leaders discover strategies and tactics to unlock your growth potential. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished guests who want to share their knowledge and experiences so you can be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating towards more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Joining me today is Karen Hurt. Karen inspires transformational change with innovative approaches and practical tools as CEO of Let's Grow Leaders, an international leadership development company. She's an executive who brings more than two decades of experience in customer service, sales, and human resources, and was recently named on Inc.'s list of 100 great leadership speakers to watch. Karen earned her BA in communications from Wake Forest University and her master's degree from Townsend University in organizational communication and additional graduate work at the University of Maryland, where she teaches at the Exec Ed program. She and her husband, David Dye, are dedicated to their philanthropic initiative, Winning Wells, which provides clean water wells to communities struggling with access to safe water throughout Southeast Asia. Karen and her husband and business partner, David, who was a guest on my quest for the best on episode 265, live outside of Washington, D.C. She's here to talk about her fourth book, Courageous Cultures, How to Build Teams of Micro-Innovators, Problem Solvers, and Customer Advocates. Welcome, Karen. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's great to have you on the show. One thing I'm always curious about with high performers and people who are doing big things in the world is when you were growing up, who's someone who influenced or inspired you? Certainly my father, very much encouraging and, uh, you know, girls can do anything kind of thing, which I think was really important for me. And he continues to inspire me and supports the work that we're doing. What's an example of a way that he supported you when you were younger in order to take on something that you thought just might be challenging or a little bit too much for you. And with his encouragement, you were able to take it on. I think it's breaking things down, you know, asking really strategic questions. What are you really looking to accomplish here? Why is this so important? What is one thing you could do to make this a success? And by breaking it down, and we do this with our children as well, it helps build confidence because all you have to do is accomplish one small thing and then you add on the next thing and then you add on the next. There's nothing like that positive momentum and somebody cheering you on and expressing that belief in you that you can do it. Absolutely. What is a courageous culture and do the circumstances ever change that threshold or that requirement? favorite definition of culture is Seth Godin, you know, people like us do things like this. So in a courageous culture, People like us speak up, they share ideas, they advocate on behalf of the customer. And so that is really what we're talking about building here when we talk about building a courageous culture. It's a really challenging time right now, you know, and uh, sometimes people say, you know, if you didn't have a courageous culture before, could you have one now? And I would say absolutely, because everything. People are having to do the best that they can with what they have from where they are right now. And this is a period of so much micro-innovation and problem-solving. And so in this moment in time, this is a fantastic opportunity to really encourage people to speak up and to share their best ideas and to respond well to what they're doing so that they'll want to continue to do that again. I think there's some really important elements in there where we're encouraging leaders to think about 
the circumstances we're in and to be empathetic as well as supportive because there's a balance, isn't there? And it's different now that we're in a pandemic lockdown and we're working from home and more working remotely than being in the office. What do leaders need to keep in mind to keep that balance intact, yet also know that they want to keep striving for that courageous culture? Yeah, so it really starts with uh, human connection and trust. You know, 40% of the people in our research said that the reason they don't share ideas is they lack the confidence to share. And if you've got people who we're not just like working from home, right? We're working from home in a massive, in a massive crisis and people are tired. And then there's all of the social unrest that's also happening. And so just meeting people where they are and knowing and saying, you know, how is it going for you now? What are you dealing with that I should be aware of? How can I be supportive of you? And really starting there. And it's interesting. We were working with a, a prospect the other day, and he said, I want a fast finish for the quarter. And that's what I want you to come in and speak about. How is everybody? Well's morale? And he's like, Well, I mean, it's 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 good. And I'm like, it's, these folks are in Washington, D.C., in the middle, and they're, I know that they work in the work that they do. They work with a lot of low-income folks. There's, you know, you know there's things on people's hearts and minds in this environment. And I said, well, let's talk about, you know, what do you think people are responding to, you know, in terms of all of the response and the social unrest? And he said, oh, we can't talk about any of that here. What do you mean you can't tell? He's like, it's it would be inappropriate to talk about anything remotely political. I said, well, I don't think we have to have political angle about it, but we need to meet people where they are. If you just go in and say, have a fast finish, it's going to be incredibly tone deaf. And he was like, he just couldn't see it. And so we weren't the right people to work with them, you know, because you need to you need to make a human connection before you can ask people's ideas. Otherwise, people say, you want ideas to improve the business, but what about me? You don't even care about me. It's kind of abusive where they're just saying, you know, we want you to perform regardless of the stress you're feeling, of the struggle you're dealing with, with managing maybe children at home. It just doesn't take into account the circumstances that their people are in. So I would start there. And then I would start with being very clear about where you need a new idea. So people don't have a lot of extra emotional energy right now to get super creative. But if you say, I need your very best idea about how we could help you be more productive while you're working from home. So, you know, now you're very specific about where you need an idea. And somebody could say, well, you know what? I've got two toddlers crawling all over my lap between 10 and 2. But if I could shift my hours around and I could get some work done in the morning and then maybe again later at night, I think I'd be more productive. How would you feel about that? Right? So that's a very specific idea. And so I think that's the other thing is being focused on what a good idea would accomplish. I hope that everyone listening understands the power of specificity and focus that Karen just called out and led you through an example. That is absolutely critical to really showing that you understand the nature of the struggle that your people are, are going through. That's really important. Yeah, we're working with one company on a program and we're taking about a hundred of their managers through this. And it and we started with we're not just saying bring us your ideas. The the you know senior leader came up with five specific areas he needs great ideas. And then we're going to work through the courageous cultures process to help people think about those ideas. And I know that that's going to be more successful than if we had just said, bring any idea you might have. 
You know, and so he said, I need an idea around employee engagement while people are working at home. I need ideas about how do we help people process what's happening with the, from a diversity perspective and unconscious bias. And then he had three very strategic business outcome ideas that he wanted people to think about. And if you could just start there being very specific, and if you don't know where you might need an idea, a way to go is to say, okay, we use an activity we called only ugly which is what are we underestimating? What's got to go? And where are we losing? And why, where are we missing the yes? So for example, you could say in the next 18 months for our business to be successful, to not just survive, but to thrive, and then have your team walk through these four strategic questions. You will be, it's amazing to me how quickly new ideas surface from that type of conversation. The more focused you are when you ask the question, the more able you are to really tap into people's energy and ideas because it doesn't create overwhelm as a blunt question does where you're just asking, so what do we have to do to make things better? That's a terrible question in a situation like this. Absolutely. If you could be as specific as what's one thing that's ticking off our customers right now? Now, Everybody can come up with one, you know? Well, one of the other things that I think is very important is the idea of curiosity. And in your book, you talk about somebody who wasn't getting a lot of traction, who was a CEO's first name of Steve. I think you could fill in more of the details, but he wasn't getting the traction with a new idea that he wanted. And he needed to ask better questions and to approach it differently. Can you walk us through that? Yeah. So uh, Steve was in an energy company that's based in the East Coast. And as you can imagine, right, the things are changing so rapidly in that industry. And so they were really trying to think about how could they pivot and expand their offerings of products and services. And he had a really great new program that they were about to roll out. And as they were going through, he was doing what we call the clarity work incredibly well. He pulled, he did a a town hall. He pulled everybody together. He explained how this was so important to their overall business strategy and how it aligned with their other strategic initiatives. So he did a great job of you know, connecting what to why. He spent a lot of time working hands-on with his leaders to make sure they understood it. And they all had a five-by-five five communication strategy, communicating things five times, five different ways in a way that makes sure that people were really getting what he was, why this was so important and what they needed to do. He was talking very specifically with people in every single role about how they fit into this. So all the clarity stuff was there and he was still not getting the traction that he needed and he was getting incredibly frustrated. So I was having a conversation with him one day and I said, you're doing all this great, but what if for one week you just showed up curious? And he said, what do you mean? I'm like, don't stop telling people what they need to do. Start just being curious about what's actually happening here. And so he was walking through his contact center and he overheard one of his strong reps on the phone, really struggling to communicate with his customer about this new program. And he was about to react. Then he thought, oh, I'm supposed to show up curious. Now, you have to approach this very gently if you are a CEO and you're talking to a frontline employee, but he did this well. He said, you know, uh, he asked her to put the phone on mute for a moment. He said, my coach tells me that I'm supposed to be showing up curious right now. 
So would you mind if I talked with the customer? And she was relieved. So he took over the call and he said, he introduced himself. He, hey, I'm Steve. I'm the CEO. I'm just really curious. My rep seems to be having trouble explaining and answering some of your questions. Could you share with me what you're thinking about? And he said, she asked questions that they hadn't even completely thought through. And he said, that was so important to just by showing up curious, I realized that we're, there were things that we needed to get better aligned from a strategic perspective and, of course, train people in what to say in, those, in response to those kinds of questions. So in approaching this without the idea that you have all the answers, Steve was able to actually gather information that improved his program and helped others in his company become more comfortable, confident, and competent with sharing the ideas and details of the program because of this conversation. Is that the, the gist of the impact? Exactly. I know that a lot of the CEOs and senior leaders that we work with as well encounter resistance to new ideas. And I know that there's a group of people who are always looking to come up with new ideas and implement them and aren't having the success gaining the kind of acceptance, buy-in, and even endorsing it, where you have people who are really promoters of the idea within the organization. In your book, Creative Cultures, you talk about this very directly. And you say that there are five ways that people resist your new idea. A, they question your motives. B, they're still actively working to make your last great idea work. C, your great idea is a great idea, but won't work here. There's some skepticism about the circumstances. D, flat out, your great idea isn't so great, they're thinking. <laughs> and E, your great idea is only your idea. No one else is sharing in it. All of us who have ever introduced new programs and new ideas, we've experienced some portions of this. How do you understand and work with it once you identify the fact that you're experiencing a particular type of resistance, Karen? Yeah. So I will take you back to a story when I was leading a 2200 person sales team at uh, Verizon. So I had the Verizon stores. Uh, so we had 110 stores in Maryland, DC and Virginia. And I had just been promoted into the sales role. And here's the thing. I had my first decade of work at Verizon was all in human resources, uh, leadership development, training and development, those kinds of things. Then I went and I led call centers. So, and those were mostly 95% women. Then I get moved into this sales job. I have never sold a thing in my life. 13 out of 14 of, the, of my direct reports were men. And 14 out of 14 had been in retail sales for their entire career. So here comes HR check. But this is not, so I did not have a lot of credibility, right, as I'm bringing new ideas in. And uh, they're saying, oh, this is probably a diversity, you know, succession planning move. And, you know, to some extent, I think that it was because, you know, there had just was not a lot of female leadership at that time in the store channel. So I had that, those headwinds already. But here's the really prickly problem. At this point in time, Verizon was not allowed to sell the iPhone. AT&T had exclusive rights. So you may remember the days. where. Right? So we had the BlackBerry and push to talk and, you know, regular and just flip phones. So our team was completely demoralized because people were coming into our stores and they were asking one question. How do I port my number out to take my and go get the iPhone at AT&T? And so... 
I knew one thing, clarity, we needed to make revenue, right? That was my job. And I was not going to fail in this job, but I did not know how we were going to do it. It really seemed impossible. So I thought, all right, 2,200 people, somebody's got to be selling something, right? So I asked for a list of a top uh, 20 salespeople and I started following them around. So curiosity, right? Going on a curiosity tour. And I ran into Yomi. Now, Yomi was doing one thing. He was asking every single customer, where do you work? So curious. Yomi, why do you do that? Is that just to build rapport? And he said, oh, no, no. He said, Verizon didn't used to have good small business plans, but now we do. But most of the small business customers are with Sprint. But here's the thing. People are coming into our stores and in their right pocket, they have the phone that they want to port, their personal device that they want to port out to AT&T to get the iPhone. But in their other pocket, a lot of the times there will be a business phone and the business customers right now are too afraid of security issues. They're not ready to use the iPhone. It's too new. So I've got to ask where they work. Four out of 10 times, it, either they or somebody in their family owns a small business. And if I can figure out that phone's in their pocket, I am porting lines over five and 10, 20 lines at a time. I'm making bank. So I'm like, oh, this is great. Now we have an idea. Yomi has figured it out. I just have to get my district managers on board. So how do you think that went? Just telling them wasn't enough. (laughs) (laughs) So, right, no credibility. I've got this idea. So I go back and I say, Yomi's figured it out. And they said, oh, Karen, Yomi is Yomi. He could sell ice to Eskimos. Plus, only 2% of our sales come from the small business space. This will never work. So they were finding ideas why it wouldn't work rather than trying something just to make sales. Right. So I said, so here's where, you know, a little confident humility comes in. I said, I don't know if it will work because I didn't. But I said, what I do know is that next Tuesday, we are going to have every single salesperson ask every customer where they work. And we're going to make it feel like a holiday. So what we did was, you know, we, we decorated the stores with balloons. We did special training with everybody to say, you're, this day, the requirement is that you're going to ask every customer that, where they work. We got all the district managers to, we made a plan so that between all of us, we would hit every single store over this nine-hour radius of driving. We dressed in costumes and would go in the back of the store and get everybody riled up. If somebody asked where they worked, a customer where they worked, and it led to a sale. We asked people to take a picture of them with their customer or all the phones lined up and tell a quick story of that, how that worked, that how asking that question worked and send it to a special mailbox called the Small Business Madness Mailbox, which was really just my executive assistant. And then every three hours, she was sending out these flyers with the picture and the stories and say, you know, we asked Jane, where, where does she work? And she said, oh, I own a small daycare center at home. And there I sold five lines of small business. And we quadrupled our sales on that day. Not quadrupled our small business sales, quadrupled our sales. Top line store sales. Right. So I got everybody on a conference call the next morning. And I said, if it could work on a random Tuesday, it could work any day. So because if if salespeople believe they can't sell, they can't sell. 
But if you try something and you can isolate what that behavior is, then basically we proved in that the idea would work. Now, that was the beginning of the buy-in process. And then from there, of course, we had to do all the other strategic things and get people better trained and figure out how to position it and link to compensation and all those things. But when I was promoted out of that role, 20% of our sales were from the small business space. And we won the President's Award for Customer Growth. So that is how you you have to get people to believe that the idea will work. Give them a taste, right? And, you know, you said, you mentioned, you know, one of our finds is people question your motives, right? If if they were thinking it was just about me, you know, and this succession planning move, that create skepticism. It had to be about them and making them successful. One of the things that I think you did with that, Karen, that I thought was so clever is you said, I don't know if this will work. You went to them and said, let's find out together. So you made them your partner in discovering whether it worked or not. And then you reinforced it with (laughs) using email as social media. (laughs) (laughs) Because it was back in the day, right? There you gave people a chance to visibly see the evidence that it was working, which helped them convince themselves this can work if others are getting that result. By gosh, I'm going to give it even more of a try so that I could be part of that winner's circle as well. Yes, exactly. Karen, are you ready for the My Quest for the Best lightning round? Oh, sure. Let's do it. All right. So earlier, I asked you about a person who inspired you when you were growing up and you talked about your father. When you were a teenager, what's a song you found inspiring? (laughs) I am the tiger. (laughs) And if you could put a slogan about the work that you do that you'd want to remind every key stakeholder or decision maker that they had to read it each morning, what would it say on that billboard? Be the leader you want your boss to be. And then What's the best $100 or so purchase you've made in the last six months, personally or professionally? I would say that it has to be the lighting that we put in our new studio as we've been pivoting to doing all live remote programs. What's the most important habit, routine, or belief that you've stopped in the last year that's brought you the most pleasure or personal satisfaction? For me, what I've really been spending a lot of time, particularly since the pandemic, is Stopping to try to have a concrete plan, you know, just to be more open to what might need to happen next. And I think that reduction in anxiety has, it's been incredible to see what has emerged from that and enabling us to change the way we're approaching and and be more fluid. Karen, another principle that has delighted to come across in courageous cultures was the one of Make sure that you find the principle within the practice so that you're not just replicating something mindlessly, but you're understanding. Sometimes it does make sense to clone an existing practice. Other times it makes sense to modify it in order to make it appropriate for that particular purpose. Could you illustrate that with this example or maybe one from your other client work? How we practice the principle is one of the really interesting things about how we went. Once we got people's buy-in that small selling to small business was a possibility, we were hanging it around about 8%. And we were kind of stagnant there. And we're like, what else? And so we asked each district to come up with an idea to sell to small business that was unique to their market. And so, for example, the folks in Washington, D.C., you know, what are small business customers in Washington, D.C.? Right? They, they're law firms or consulting firms. They're fancy. 
And they, they didn't want to come into a, a store. They wanted, you know, I'm B2B. So what we did, the, the, the group, the d- district manager group there did was came up with this idea of take back DC. So they gave everybody who was working in the stores a stipend to buy more professional clothes. So people were feeling like they, and that really worked. But that would not work in Cedar Bluff, Virginia, right? Cedar Bluff, Virginia has a very, very, very rural. And they said, well, what would work there? You know, obviously we need to connect. The principle is we need to connect with our small business customers, but suits are going to create the opposite effect. So what's the principle in that? Well, this one store was our only store that was actually a log cabin store. And it had a law. Wait a second. A log cabin in a D.C. area store? No, no. This is now we're in Cedar Bluff, Virginia. Got it. Okay. Now we're in Cedar Bluff, Virginia. And so they have this log cabin and they said, well, what is, who are our, our customers? Well, our customers are not lawyers and consultants. Our customers are contractors and farmers. But the principle is they want to feel special too, right? Mm-hmm. So they created, took this loft in the cabin and they created a small business headquarters. So, and then they called these customers and treated them very specially. And let's do an account review. And, and people love that. And that store became our number one small business store month after month. So that was really interesting. Now, well, I'll give you one more example. Virginia Beach, Virginia. Now, Virginia Beach, Virginia, as you can imagine, has lots of people coming in the stores in the summer that you could ask where they work. But what do you think is happening in February? Not as many people coming in the store. So if you don't have people to ask where, find out where they work, how are you going to find out whether they need a small business plan? So what they did was they created what they called a call center in the back of their store. And all that was, was the sales reps doing outbound calling and inviting people who were also small businesses with nothing to do to come in and have a, a free account review. And it worked. So the principle in all three of those examples is we need to connect with our customers in a way that will make them feel special. But how it played out in each market was radically different. And that's really illustrative and something that everyone listening can adopt in their own businesses to ask questions of their customers and also think about it, to take a step back from the day to day and think about what would help people, your customers, feel special, feel more connected, know that you care about their success. There are multiple examples here that show you how you can do this with not a lot of time, money, or energy required, but it requires that special thought and that intention to be successful by helping others. Yes. You know, I think one of the challenges, you know, with Practice the Principle and why we we teach this so specifically, it's tempting when something works really well to just immediately go apply it everywhere. And so in one case, ask every customer where they work, that did work everywhere. But asking everyone to just wear fancy suits would not have worked everywhere. And so you've got to think about, you've got to vet through and think about how would you apply the principle of this practice everywhere. Well, I think it's also true that you're asking people to do these micro innovations, not a full on change to the whole business, but what's one small thing that can be done as a micro innovation that could make a difference, some measurable difference and move the business forward. Exactly. Because all those micro innovations add up. And we're in a period now where we need the ideas in order to gain traction. We need ideas in order to connect more closely with our customers. And we need ideas that help people be more effective in the jobs that they do. Exactly. 
Well, Karen, I want to thank you so much for joining me on my quest for the best. You started off talking about how your father was a great role model and encouraged you to do anything and to really break it down by asking strategic questions and to gain positive momentum. You talked about how you've applied this approach and this model within your own business of asking people where you are and how you can be supportive of where you actually are now rather than making assumptions. You pointed out to leaders listening that their teams and their direct reports may not have a lot of extra emotional energy. So the way that you spend it is really important. And one way to do that is to focus. Focus and be very specific with the questions you ask so that they're dedicating their discretionary time and energy towards solving problems that are really going to move the needle forward in the business. You helped us with various questions and talked about different specific areas where people can not just survive, but really thrive. And we talked about the case study. The example was Steve at the East Coast Energy Company, where he needed to pivot and expand, but he wasn't seeing that traction. But through his ability to be curious, through his support that you gave him to be humble and ask for questions, he gained ideas that were invaluable to moving an idea forward and helping others embrace it within his company. And then you were so generous in sharing the examples you had working as the team leader in sales at Verizon, where you had a lot of people reporting to you who were skeptical of your credibility. And what pulled people together was this need to increase sales during a period where you didn't have the product that everyone was looking for. And by doing one of these micro innovations, but asking that question, so where do you work that you got from Yomi? Where do you work really unlocked a lot of sales potential within that company? So for these reasons and so many more, I want to thank you, Karen Hurt, co-author of Courageous Cultures. I want to thank you so much for joining me on my quest for the best. It has been absolutely my pleasure. Thank you so much. Karen, before we say goodbye for now, can you tell me where we can find out more about you and your work online? Yeah, letsgrowleaders.com is our website. Well, we will be linking to letsgrowleaders.com as well as your social media channels, as well as the other areas that we discussed in the interview. Karen Hurt, once again, thank you very much for talking with me and joining me on My Quest for the Best. Thank you so much. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on My Quest for the Best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review my quest for the best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on My Quest for the Best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.